0: Okay, today's reading will be from Thirst, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from the speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measures of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last.
1: Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are the God who speaks. You are not like mute idols made by our hands. You are living and active and you reveal yourself through your Son and in your word. As we hear it now, Help my words to be clear and faithful. And may we all, including myself, receive this message as your word. May it be at work in our lives to help us respond in holiness and blameless lives before you and our world. We ask this for your glory at work in us and our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. In April 2013, an Argentinian man thought he stumbled upon the deal of a decade. He was at a local flea market when he spotted a vendor selling poodle puppies. Normally selling for thousands of dollars, he thought he had a bargain at $75 per pup. So he bought two of them. Turns out, of course, it was too good to be true. He hadn't bought poodles, but ferrets. that had been pumped with steroids, bleached white, and had, had their hair fluffed up to look like poodles. Now, I'm not a dog owner, and uh, I, th- I think cats are better. Shh. Um, but if I was on the hunt for a new dog, I think I know enough to be able to spot the difference between a poodle and a ferret. Right? Knowing what a proper poodle looks like is the first big step in knowing you're getting what you're paying for. Knowing what to look for can help you spot the genuine thing. So like last week, Jordan gave us the first chapter in our new series here in 1 Thessalonians, and there we saw Paul give thanks for how the Thessalonians were genuine believers. How could he tell? Because he saw the gospel go into them and the gospel come out of them. In chapter 1, we saw the hallmarks of what genuine faith looks like. Now, back to dogs for a second. Uh, I learned recently that one of the things you have to also research as you're trying to purchase a dog is also the breeder. You have to find out whether the person selling you the dog is a reputable breeder and not some con man who is selling you an inferior dog that you can pay big dollars for. Now, if we think about last week, last week we saw the hallmarks of genuine faith, but What about the breeder? What about the gospel minister? If the gospel minister was a phony, or if if the gospel minister was fake, then you wouldn't have genuine faith. Or you might end up with a counterfeit faith, something that kind of looks like genuine Christianity, but doesn't last the long term. So how do you know if you are receiving authentic gospel ministry? because if it's not authentic then your christian life may also be in danger you might have been sold a ferret when you were looking for a purebred dog you might have been sold a fake gospel thinking it was the real deal now last week paul opened up this letter praising god for the thessalonians praising god for that they were genuine believers and again how could he tell because he he knew that the gospel had gone into them. It was changing their lives. They were turning away from idols, but he also knew that it was coming out of them in their witnessing and living and their evangelizing. It was a wonderful 10 verses of assurance of their faith. Today, our passage starts in verse one with a four. And so what Paul is about to do is he's going to continue elaborating on the confidence he has in their salvation. He will move from speaking about them to speaking about Timothy, Silas, and himself to show them what authentic gospel ministry looks like. But why is he doing that? Why does he spend so long here on what he and his partners were like? Now, this kind of goes a little bit towards the purpose of the letter. This was a young church needing lots of encouragement. And this letter basically aims at telling them... You started really well in the gospel with our help, and now you can and you must continue in it. So in the opening chapters of this letter, he wants to reassure them that not only their faith, but also the fact that they received real, authentic gospel ministry makes it all genuine, a ministry that set them up well and one they must continue in. Last week, he spoke about the gospel's impact on them. And here in verse 1, he starts by reminding them that his coming to them was not in vain. It wasn't empty of results, of of substance, of character. It might have been a bit vain if... if, uh, uh, Sorry, it might have been a bit of a vain arrival considering the suffering he experienced in Philippi. He's just been rejected in Philippi. He's made his way to Thessalonica. Yet in verse 2, we're told that Paul, Timothy, and Silas came with boldness in God. They did not shrink from preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, even though it would cause them more pain and persecution. So what what does not shrinking back look like? Have a look again at verse 2. Paul says we had boldness in our God. Boldness is not this kind of self-generated thing. It's not a a thing where you kind of just give yourself a pep talk and just kind of go for it. Boldness comes from relationship with God. It is in knowing who your heavenly Father is and knowing that he's got your back here and into eternity. When When I think of boldness, I think of a man named Polycarp. He was one of the early martyrs to the Christian faith. In the final moment before his death, he was given another chance to recant his faith and spare his life. To this opportunity, he replied, 80 and six years I have served Christ, nor has he done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I think that's full-on boldness. But, you know, it's not the only story of boldness that I know of. I also think about the teen who keeps lovingly sharing the gospel with his friends even when, he thinks even when they think he's a loser. I think of the uni student who does walk up evangelism at the great court at the UQ campus even though after being yelled at by other students. I think about the family who is persistently reaching out to their extended relatives even though it's been years of rejection. That sort of boldness comes from knowing who your heavenly father is and knowing he's got your back here in eternity. Are you that bold? Do you know God in this way? See, from this place of security and confidence, Paul, Timothy and Silas kept on boldly preaching the gospel, even when it would cause them more pain and conflict. Confidence and boldness can, however, so often turn into cockiness and arrogance. But from verse 3 onwards, Paul switches mode in his writing. He almost goes on kind of the defensive. He's speaking about his own ministry and what he did not do and what he was not like. Now, the historical context of the day kind of helps us understand maybe a little bit more about why he's doing this and how he pushes and how it actually continues to push the point and purpose of this letter onwards as well. So a bit of background. In Paul's time, uh, entertainment, you remember thinking first, second century. uh, In in that time, entertainment was not found on TV shows or on the internet. Imagine a world, try to imagine a world when none of that existed. If you wanted to do something, uh, then one of the most common things to do was go listen to the public speaker, the visiting public speaker for the day. Now, to be a good public speaker, you have to know a wide range of topics, speak eloquently, engagingly, and if you were good enough, you could charge people to listen to you, or you could get them to give you money and a a place to stay. Now, you can imagine that with this kind of setup, dodgy speakers would say anything for a quick dollar. When Paul came into town, he and his partners were not like that. From verse 3 to 6, he lays out the gospel, how the gospel message and the gospel messengers were different. So come with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. <coughs> For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man... But to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So you keep having to scan over that and have a look at first verse three. And he says very clearly that the message he brought did not come from error, impurity, or any, any attempt to deceive them. He was real, the real deal. Verse 4, he was the real deal. Their approval from, as a person and the message came from God. And they were entrusted with this gospel to preach from God. So that meant they didn't speak in ways that was to please man. They didn't preach to tickle ears or to warm the heartstrings. They spoke to please God because God sees and tests their hearts. And because they spoke to please God, they did not come with words of flattery, words, of, words that butter them up, words that puff up the hearers, right? flattery, words that you'll say to someone's face, but you'll never say behind their back, as compared to gossip, which are words that you'll say behind someone's back, but you'll never say it to their face. Flattery is not communication, it is manipulation. Unlike nearly every other professional speaker, they did not come with a pretext for greed. They did not come to make some fast money off them. And to cap off this list uh, of what they were not like, verse 6, they did not come seeking glory from people. It wasn't their goal to make a name for themselves, right? to get on the best speaker circuits and to gain followers and grow their influence. In all of this, Paul had one clear point to make. The ministry the Thessalonians experienced was authentic gospel ministry. It came from uh, this place of openness, honesty, transparency. They had nothing to hide. And they know all of this. The Thessalonians know all this. He's not telling them something they don't know. Up on the screen, you'll see verses 1 to 12. And now highlighted, you'll see this repetition of this idea throughout the passage of them already knowing this stuff, of being witnesses. The point of that is that this repetition hammers home again and again the assurance that they needed. Their faith was not only the real deal, but they also, also their personal experience of Paul's ministry showed he was the real deal. They had genuinely received authentic, the authentic gospel from authentic gospel ministers, So what what do these authentic gospel ministers look like? What would it have been like to have had Paul as the senior pastor? Imagine that for a moment. Paul as senior pastor, Timothy and Silas as associate pastors. How would you imagine them? We know that Paul could be quite wordy sometimes. We know that he could also get quite fiery in his letters. Maybe we have a picture of Paul as someone who was just constantly on the move, moving from city to city, evangelizing, setting things up, and then just moving on quickly. Uh, How many of us here might have found Paul an intimidating pastor? Yet see what he was like with them. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Verse 7, what was he like with them? He was gentle with them. The way a nursing mother is with her own child. Kind of picture that for a moment. If you don't know, Abel and Amelia... Two of our, our, our brother and sister here um, recently had baby Anastasia, Stacy. Right? They are wrestling, they're doing this right now, like with this newborn baby, with newborn baby Stacy. She is incredibly floppy, right? Especially her head. Right? And so when Abel and Amelia pick her up, they've got to gently they've got to hold her firmly and tightly. And yet at the same time, she's soft. So she can't, they can't just grab her, like, you know, Abel's not going to go in there, grab her foot and go, hey, Stacy, how you going? Right? You've got to cradle them so that they sit safely in your hands and they won't fall out. To secure them as you move around from place to place, it takes incredible attention and care. That parental imagery is picked up again in verse 11 and 12. They were like a father with their children. Paul and company took on their shoulders the father's responsibility of the children's spiritual growth, exhorting them, encouraging them, charging them to live godly lives, to walk in a manner worthy of God, live lives that that reflected Paul's own holiness and blamelessness before them. He wanted them to be like father, like son. Paul, Timothy, and Silas were model parents to these children in the faith. Which kind of makes us pause and reflect on our own parenting or of our own Christian parents. Were, the godly, were they godly examples of gospel centered living? Or to quote Pastor Dinesh from Esley Church Camp 2017 how many of our Christian parents are rubbish Christians? How about yourself? Not with Paul. And co, they talked the talk and they walked the walk. Verse nine continues this theme of his great care for them. Uh, Paul speaks of working to support himself financially, you know, not wanting to be a burden on them. Even though in verse six he had said earlier that he could have made demands as an apostle, right? He has the right to request financial donations for them from them to support his gospel ministry to them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that it's good and right for gospel workers to be paid for their gospel work. And yet Paul personally chose not to do that. He worked so hard that he would not be a burden to them. He describes it as labor and toil. This is the manual laboring of tent making that we know of elsewhere. And where most people work from dawn until noon, Paul says he worked night and day. So what were these gospel ministers like? They were gentle, they were parental, and they were hardworking. But why were they like that? Verse 8 is the key. Verse 8 again. They were affectionately desirous of the Thessalonians. Paul not only loved them, but he liked them. There was a profound affection that he had towards him and that motivated everything he did, every conversation he had, every encouragement or exhortation was rooted in this incredible personal commitment to these new friends. See, not only is authentic gospel ministry open and honest and transparent, it's also deeply personal. Paul didn't rock up into Thessalonica, whip up some hype, then hide away in the green room only to appear to give his sermon which tickled some ears and then asked for generous donations. He didn't just lecture to them to the gospel truths and then run. His ministry was deeply personal, intimate, affectionate. Have you experienced ministry like this? Open, honest, transparent, personal, and not just from your pastors, but also elders and deacons and other leaders. If you're an international student here, let me encourage you in the future when you head back home to take this ministry model with you, a model of openness, honesty, transparency, and deep personal connection. Far too often, far too often I have heard stories uh, recently as well of church experiences, where the pastor was unknown, or where leaders were abrupt or would scold people for asking questions. I've even heard this, sometimes, people can be scoffed for asking simple questions. Sometimes even here at our church, I'm actually quite grieved at that. And that's not right. Authentic gospel ministry is honest about your own struggles, transparent about your actions, personal and intimate. So if you're a student and you're going to head back, I want you to not waste your time in a church that lacks this sort of ministry model and this ministry mindset. I know some who have joined our church recently who have not had this experience of ministry before. I know for some you've had very painful experiences of church, and for that I can only mourn and grieve with you and say that it shouldn't be like that. Church is meant to be a place of ministry as we've seen here in this passage, a place that builds you up in Christ. I'm not gonna say that we're perfect, hardly, but I hope you'll find here leaders who aren't just here to just teach you the Bible, but also who want to invest in your life, who show care and concern. I hope you'll find pastors and elders who make themselves available to talk to you, to listen, to show compassion and care. If you're sitting here and you're not a believer, you know, we live in a world today where suspicion about the church is quite normal. Suspicion about pastors is actually quite normal. So let me invite you to do a few things. Let me invite you to test us. I'm going to try and be as much of an open book with you as I can. I'm going to ask the leaders here to be as much of an open book with you as they can. So that you can ask your questions. You can find this ministry that we're speaking about here. That you can experience it for yourself. The ministry is meant to be a reflection of the God who created everything, who also came personally, met with humanity face to face. Jesus is a picture of deeply personal ministry. Someone who lived life with people, was open and transparent and spoke God's word. All gospel ministry is meant to be a reflection of that. And so if you're not a believer here today, I want to invite you to see that among us. Now, if you have experienced this sort of ministry, then praise God for it. Rejoice that the ministry you've experienced is a ministry that reflects the gospel. Whether it be here or elsewhere, praise God for it. And then a small challenge. Consider how much of Paul's personal and transparent ministry you see in yourself. How can you be encouraged to imitate his example? Because the example leads to something rather profound. You see, authentic gospel ministry, which is open and transparent and deeply personal is embraced as nothing less than the Word of God itself. See how Paul thanks God for them in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. See, here's the end goal. Here's 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 the purpose of authentic gospel ministry, that the word of God is preached and that when the word is preached it is not accepted just as the words of men but as God speaking. Here is what happens when faithful biblical teaching meets with the faithful life of the minister and I don't just mean the pastor I mean anyone who ministers the gospel anyone who shares or teaches anyone who opens up the Bible to read with you. When faithful teaching and faithful living meet the message is ultimately embraced as God speaking. Not because the minister is infallible, not because the minister is perfect, but because it is true. True not only in the gospel truth sense, but true in the sense that it is real and lived out. See, this is the kind of ministry we see in Jesus, open, honest, transparent, Deeply personal. When he spoke, he not only spoke with God's authority, but he lived a life which demonstrated that as well. So when the gospel minister lives faithfully and teaches faithfully, they are imitating the Saviour. And the word that speaks is to be embraced that word that is spoken is to be embraced as God's word. Paul's final words in verse 14 to 16 contain one final encouragement, the encouragement that the suffering and persecution that they were experiencing was to be expected. You see, not only had they embraced the message from Paul as God's word itself, but in verse 14, the church was also imitating other churches in Judea. How were they imitating them? Second half of verse 14, in persecution and suffering. They suffered under the hands of their fellow countrymen, Just like Paul had suffered at the hands of the Jews, uh, the parallel of their suffering and Paul's suffering is meant to be a comfort. Just like what Paul went through, so the Thessalonians were experiencing the same. It wasn't going to be a surprise then. Just as Paul was rejected, driven out of town, personally opposed, and his message hindered, the same thing was happening to the Thessalonians. But these hard experiences are all the temporary side effects of following Jesus. Because in the end, Jesus will win. And all those who oppose Jesus and his followers will not have the last word. See, persecution and suffering are the fruit of authentic gospel ministry. It's inevitable that the message which pushes against the world and culture will face backlash. Last week, the news was taken up with the the Andrew Thorburn issue. Now, if you've been living under a rock for the past few weeks, let me fill you in briefly what happened. Essendon Football Club in Melbourne appointed Andrew Thorburn as their new CEO. However, the media found out that he was also the chairman of a church board. The church was city on a hill. Like so much gotcha journalism these days, someone trawled through the uh, the church's website uh, and sermon archives and found sermons on the topic of abortion and homosexuality. And it exploded from there the media jumped on these statements and Thorburn was effectively forced to resign. Though they said it wasn't about his religion, it's pretty clear to anyone with half a brain that it was. Thorburn's crime was simply being associated with the church. I find it astonishing that you may lose your job because you come to this church. We live in a world where if you apply for a job and you mention anything about SLE Church or someone finds out and they trawl our website and look at our sermon archive and they may cancel you or they may force you to resign because of what I have preached or what Ben has preached. That is astonishing. Andrew Thorburn's crime was simply to be associated with the church. A church which, by the way, I believe, displays the hallmarks of authentic gospel ministry. I think Paul would have applauded them. Yet here we are, living in a world where authentic gospel ministry leads to persecution and suffering. And we shouldn't be surprised. But we do need to be encouraged, encouraged to hold on to Jesus, encouraged to be prepared Holding on to Jesus is getting tougher and tougher, but if you're expecting it, well, it won't take you by surprise. In God's sovereignty, persecution will end. Suffering for Jesus will one day be over. The temporary pain will give way to eternal joy. There will be no regrets for those who have lived for Jesus and clung to him to the end. No one in 10,000 years will regret having stood firm in their faith. So let's keep holding on. Let's busy ourselves with ministry that reflects the ministry of Paul, a ministry where we are open and honest and personal with each other, authentic gospel ministry. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for this authentic gospel ministry that we have experienced and that you've given to us. We thank you that it means that what we have heard, what we have believed is the real deal. Our sins are forgiven. Our relationship with you is reconciled. We have eternal life and we have true life now. And so we ask, Father, that you'll help us to keep clinging on to this and to keep holding on to it. We ask that you'll help us to be thankful for the ministry that we have experienced. We ask that you'll help us to be a part of that ministry, to keep proclaiming the authentic gospel through the way in which we live, the way in which we minister to each other, the way in which we love and serve each other. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to do this so that when suffering comes, when persecution comes, we will hold on. We will be encouraged and that we will keep clinging on to Jesus to the very end. Help us to do this for our eternal joy in you forever and ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.